This is What The Flux. I'm Brett. And I'm Justin. And it's Friday the 13th of August. Justin, hackers have stolen $814 million Ooh. worth of crypto from a platform named Poly Network. Ooh. It's the biggest theft in the industry's history. But weirdly enough, my friend, the alleged hacker said they only did it for fun <laughs> and they returned half the money. The rest is still outstanding, Interesting. though. Interesting. They, man, Telstra is going big. They've announced they're going to return nearly $2.3 billion back to investors. And that's through dividends and buying back shares. Mm, three really cashed up stories today, Justin. Let's do it. For our first, the head honchos at some of the biggest tech companies in Australia have banded together to form the Tech Council of Australia. Cue the Avengers theme song. <laughs> what is the story here, B-Man? Well, 23 of Australia's biggest names in tech, they've joined forces to create the Tech Council of Australia. Think Tesla chair Robin Denham. Yep, she's Australian. Atlassian's co-CEO. Afterpay's co-founder. And Canva co-founder. And Brett, this crew have a couple of big missions to execute by 2025. And Justin, what are they going to actually do? Well, they're planning to employ 1 million people in the sector and also grow the value of Australia's tech industry from around $167 billion to $250 billion. And B-Man, how are they actually going to do it? Well, my friend, the whole purpose of the Tech Council is to give the industry one single, hopefully very powerful voice. In other words, they'll be able to lobby the government on policy matters that actually impact the sector. So what is the key learning here? The government and the tech industry need to work together to ensure that Aussies are prepared for post-COVID jobs. Here's a fun fact for you, Jazzy. Mm-hmm. The tech sector currently employs around 861,000 Australians. And B-Man, it's on a rampage because tech jobs have been growing by 66% since 2005. Just calculating it here, that's more than twice the average growth rate of other industries. Yep. And Brett, after COVID turned the world on its digital head, you could say Australia is only going to be as competitive as it's tech. But the government hasn't always been great at collaborating with industry. So for now, Justin, we'll just have to watch this very space. Mm. For our second story, AGL has reported a $2 billion loss, that's with a B, as the shift to renewables hits their profits big time. Good for climate change, bad for business? Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Alright, so AGL is Australia's largest power supplier and it's worth $4.6 billion. And um, I don't want to alarm anyone, Mm -hmm. but they're over 180 years old. Very alarmed. (laughs) Brett, how about this? AGL has more than 4.2 million residential and business customers. That's good. But they're also Australia's heaviest greenhouse gas emitter. That is really bad. Yeah. So these guys have had a pretty tough year. AGL's gone from a $1 billion profit to a $2 billion loss. Ooh, and it's largely because of the shift to renewable energy. So what is the key learning here? As Australia adopts more renewable energy sources, companies like AGL need to rethink their strategy. Think about this one. Mm -hmm. Australia is one of the windiest and sunniest places on Earth. Which means we've got the potential for a ton of wind and solar power plants. Wind and solar power plants that can drive down the cost of electricity prices around the country. And Brett, as we move towards even more renewable energy sources, companies like AGL reckon that the worst is yet to come for them. And they're not only facing trouble for their finances. Mm -hmm. AGL has faced a ton of pressure from activist investors to also improve its carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. For our third and final story of 
of the week. Justin, time to look at the business side of some big news. Okay. Soccer superstar Lionel Messi has confirmed his move to France's richest soccer club after his previous club couldn't afford his paycheck. Ooh, the heartbreak, the tears. What is the story here? <laughs> all right, so Lionel Messi is widely regarded as one of the greatest soccer players of all time. He's been playing for Barcelona for about 20 years and he's been the club's captain for nearly 10. Now, during this time, he was earning around 70 million euros oh. or about 111 million dollars per year around 1850 times the average australian salary but brett in june this year messi's contract with barcelona ended and the team couldn't afford to pay him anymore because of tough new rules by the spanish soccer league get this messi even offered to cut his salary by 50 percent to stay with the team but uh it still couldn't work and Fluxam, before you ask if you can play for free the spanish employment law prohibits it but he's now moving to a team that can afford him enter paris saint germain owned and bankrolled by the state of Qatar. So what is the key learning here? In recent years, new types of soccer club owners have changed the economics of the sport. Barcelona is a members-owned club. That means it's 144,000 members technically own the club. But that also means that when the management make poor decisions, mm-hmm. like over-committing to big contracts, and throw maybe a global pandemic, then there's nobody to bail them out of their 1.1 billion euro debt. Ooh. On the other hand though, Messi's new club privately owned. Because they've been backed by the Qatari government since 2011. Rolling in oil money. So they've got the funds to bankroll huge player acquisitions. And B-Man, they're not the only one. There are many other soccer clubs across Europe in similar positions. Flux fam, we started our weekly newsletter at the beginning of this year and the feedback has been amazing. So much so that we've decided to change our weekly Flux newsletter into a daily Flux newsletter. And the first edition will hit your inbox this Monday morning. And if you haven't signed up yet, head to flux.finance newsletter. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on Monday. Monday.